Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 80,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash being freelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for designer Evan McDonald. We bought six one-way plane tickets to Argentina. I put in my notice. When I landed in Argentina, it said, time to go full-time freelance. I really do emphasize just Evan McDonald. That's, that's who I am. I think it's important not to be scalable. You limit your supply of who you are, that you're just one person. My experience so far is that it increases your demand. You're one of a kind and your creative approach is one of a kind. I feel like everything that I've done was stupid, but it's all kind of worked out. Yeah, so there is Evan McDonald, who um, goes as the business Evan Made, currently living in Argentina. Do you know, it's not been on purpose that this season we've had lots of people who are living like in different parts of the world from where they started out or are digital nomads, like because there's a difference. Yes, it's just worked out that way. I don't know how that is. <laughs> Honestly, in case you're sitting there thinking, hmm, this must be for travelling while working season. No, I'm not that clever. just happened to be that way. Maybe it's just the fact that more and more people are doing that kind of thing. I don't know. Anyway, Evan's chat coming up in a moment. You can find all of our guests at beingfreelance.com, along with the videos. That's the vlog that I do, documenting my own freelance journey, in air quotes. Really, if you've not watched that before, Please, uh, do, do me a favour. Give it a watch. Give it a like. Turn on, what do they tell you to do? Subscribe and turn on notifications. You know the YouTube drill. Also, at beingfreelance.com, you'll find articles and, crucially, a link through to the Being Freelance community. It would be awesome to see you in there as well. It's a lot of fun. Each week on a Friday, we do the Non-Employee of the Week Awards live, where I celebrate one particular freelancer's achievements and what they do, and then give them essential freelance goods, i.e. a mug and a packet of biscuits. So if you want to come and join us, follow the link, Being Freelance Community at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for designer and art director Evan McDonald. Hey, Evan. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. I'm good. Whereabouts in the States are you from? I'm from Seattle. But now you're in Argentina. I'm sure that will come up when you're telling us your story. Why don't we start there? How, how, how did you get started being freelance? So I studied graphic design in university, graduated about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. I always wanted to work freelance. I had been kind of working in the world of design as a student. For the last two years, I, I worked remotely with a an independent designer who was in a different state, and he would send me work. And so that's how I put myself through school was through working as a designer. And I loved that flexibility, so I knew I wanted to work freelance. But I applied to a bunch of jobs, and I got a job in Seattle, which is where I'm from, at a design studio called Tether and did some really great work there, learned a lot, made a lot of really important connections. And a lot, some of the people that I was in school with went off to to do freelancing right away, but I actually, I'm really glad that I didn't do that. Uh, not that it can't work for some people, but uh, I'm really glad that I went and got a kind of a rank and file design job. And then after that, after about four years there, I got recruited to be the design director for another company in Seattle, but to work in-house at a company called Free Fly Systems, 
And Freefly makes heavy lift drones for the cinema industry and um, camera gimbals. Some people may have heard of the Movi. Cool. Um, and so I got to work with them. It was a really great job. Worked with them for about four years. And then I decided that it was about time for me to do the thing that I wanted to do when I first graduated, which is to go full-time freelance. Um, and I should say this whole time I was working a little bit of freelance on the side, which I think is always a really good move if you can make it work. And then kind of looking at things, my wife had always wanted to live abroad. And so in October of 2017, we bought six one-way plane tickets to Argentina. And I put in my notice and we rented out our house and boxed everything up and put what we could in suitcases and flew to Argentina. And when I landed in Argentina is basically when I hung up my shingle and said, time to go full-time freelance. Wow. <laughs> Two significant changes at once. By the way, you said you bought six one-way tickets. I'm presuming that's because you've got kids or, or do you just like a lot of leg room? Uh, I, I like to lay down across the entire row, you know? No. <laughs> I My wife and I have four daughters. So, wow. yeah, so we've got a, got a family. How old are they? So my oldest is 10 and the youngest is two, and the other two fall somewhere in between. So. And what year was this that you bought that ticket or six tickets? Uh, so this was October 2017. So we landed in Argentina January, I think January 10th of mm -hmm. 2018. So we're going on two years now. So you land and obviously start this new life, but literally like career wise as well. So you had a few freelance jobs, as you said, on the side. Did yeah. did those then continue? Like what, where, where were you getting your first full-time freelance clients from? So this kind of goes back. I, I mentioned that I was really glad that I worked at a design studio and worked kind of in the industry um, not as a freelancer, first off. And, and the reason why is because of the connections that I made. You know, and this kind of has to do with my feelings and my methodology behind networking, which is that, you know, networking can be this thing where you you practice and you go to a mixer and you talk with people. And I find that those things really don't produce much. Um, and maybe they do for some, but for me, I, I, I don't know. So the thing that I have found that works really well is just having deep, genuine relationships with people that are in my industry. And the majority of those relationships were made sitting alongside people at a design studio or collaborating with another, you know, a partner company when I was, you know, working in-house. and We would partner up with another company for a giveaway or something. So those kind of connections really led to everything uh, all the all the work that I've had since. You know, every time someone would leave the company that I was working at, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, I would always be sad, but I, I always kind of knew, like, they're now going to go make connections elsewhere as their career grows and they become, you know, more successful in their career. The value of our relationship, you know, and not that I see these relationships just as being you know, a monetary value. Mm. You know, I value these friendships, but I knew that that these relationships would also potentially turn into, you know, valuable relationships for my career. So I just have really come to find that having friendships, genuine friendships with people in your industry is is kind of the best way to ensure that 
people think of you when they when they have a, a need for a creative service. That's so cool. And so the way you say that makes it feel like you didn't so much have to send out a load of emails saying, hey, I've now done this. But because they were friendships, they knew what you were doing and yeah. you were going, would that be right? Yeah, that that's definitely a big part of it. Now, it's interesting because if I had just done that, I don't think, you know, that wouldn't have been enough. I I did need to reach out to a couple key people and say, hey, just letting you know, I'm I'm looking for some work. Um, and because I'd been doing some freelance, I had a few clients that I was already working with a little bit. And I said, okay, hey, guess what? You get more of me. Or some of them didn't know that I was working full time, you know. And so I just continued to work with them and, and said, hey, my availability is opening up, you know. And, and so in just telling people my availability is opening up, that seemed to work right away pretty well. So you decided to reinvent your family life, your career life. Yeah. Did you kind of like thing that over as to what you wanted it to look like? Like where you would work from, what sort of work you would do? Like, or, or did you just go with the flow? <laughs> well, it, it was a little bit of both. Yeah, it is two big changes, going expat and going freelance. And I will say, and I think this is a really important thing to consider, that the move to Argentina – Almost all my clients that I'd worked with to that point, none of them had I ever met in person. And so it didn't matter where I lived. Now, I did have connections in Seattle. I did have relationships there. And a lot of those relationships have turned into more and more work. But at the time, majority of my freelance work came from people that I'd never met in person. So location didn't matter. And I didn't have a big amount of savings saved up. You know, I've heard people say, you need three months of income as a buffer. Well, we figured, why don't we just move someplace that isn't so expensive? And so, you know, the cost of living in Argentina is way less. The cost of healthcare is in the United States is for a lot of people, it's a deal breaker to 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 leave a company to go out on your own. And so looking at all those things, we thought this is kind of a good way to to hedge our risk a little bit. And so so we made that move and I feel like I've lost the train of your question. Um, <laughs> it was making that move and thinking about what your life would oh, right, become right. like. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean we really didn't know. A lot of people say when you if you're going to move to another country you should do an exploration trip and we didn't do that. We just said, "Ah, oh, let's just go. We'll figure it out. We'll see if we like it." So, I mean, we I, I feel like everything that I've done was stupid, um, but it's all kind of worked out. <laughs> Had you ever um, been to Argentina before, by the way? Never. No, Amazing. and I don't speak Spanish. Oh, well, I didn't speak Spanish. Um, my wife spoke Spanish. She had learned it years before. Um, and we threw our kids into Spanish-speaking school. You know, I mean, they had had a little bit of training, but not much at all. And, you know, everyone stepped into that. We threw ourselves into the deep end sink or swim, we'll see what happens, um, which I, I feel like really is not good advice <laughs> that anyone else do that. But yeah, I mean, we figured uh, we'll find a place to live. We will find a place, you know, I'll, we'll get a place big enough that I can have a little home office. Well, the part of town that we moved to doesn't really have big spaces. And so I found a co-working space about seven blocks from our apartment. And that was one of the best 
business decisions I made was renting a desk at a co-working space. There's a lot of people from other countries, a lot of other expats. So a lot of people that I could speak English with, I made friends there and that kind of helped with the transition to a new country to start building a social circle mm. um, through that co-working space. And, you know, that's where I am right now. I'm at my co-working space and I, you know, I've got good relationships. Some have even turned into some client relationships and I have a good separation between home life and work life. So do you like have a routine as in you you head off the same time each day to the office or? Yeah. So generally, um, I help the kids get ready for school and drop them off at school. And then it's just another two blocks walk to to my office, to my co-working space. And uh, sometimes I will pick up the kids from school and bring them home. Or sometimes the other nice thing about living in Argentina is it's it's really affordable to have a little helper on the house. So sometimes our help will pick up the kids. So we have these great relationships with the people that help us in our home and and so that sometimes they'll pick up the kids or my wife will or we'll grab lunch together or whatever. So everything is all in a really close radius. And so we just kind of walk everywhere. And it's actually it's for jumping blind into the deep end of, a, of an unknown pool. It's I mean, I feel like I'm on a lounger with a, a cool drink in my hand. It's it's turned out <laughs> really, really good. And uh we just spent six weeks visiting the United States, and after about a week, I was homesick, desperately homesick to return to Argentina. The kids, since we've been back, have said we don't ever want to leave Argentina. So, wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, things have really worked out pretty well for us. You have some pretty big-name clients on your website. Do they come through connections or are they through agencies Like when it comes to showing that work? Um, there's a couple places I get my clients. Some w one of my favorite types of clients is actually other design studios. Uh, a lot of those connections are people that I've worked with, and now they either have their own agency or they work with an agency and they're in like a creative director or a, a partner role at a at a big agency. And so those people, you know, I let them know I'm available, and so they've brought me in on projects. Um, and then some of those, I do work with a, a, a company called Contently. And they're based out of New York City. And they work with a lot of freelance writers and a lot of multimedia folks like designers and animators and video producers and stuff like that. And I'm actually a member of the freelance advisory board through them, which is a huge honor that just they just launched that a couple weeks ago, maybe two months, three months ago. And so through them, um, you know, they work with a lot of big clients, a lot of big brands. And it's nice I get to interface directly with those clients, but Contently helps manage the payments and, the, you know, the income. And they assign a project manager to each project, which makes my life way easier. So, so yeah, so a lot of it, I have a handful that I have kind of hunted out and earned myself and a bunch from other agencies and then a lot through this this company called Contently. I have heard of them. That's so cool. It's, so it's, yeah, it's nice that you still have a link to the client, but equally there's also somebody there to oversee it and deal with any yeah. issues. And also you've not got to go out there and win that work, I guess. Yeah, a lot of times I just get an email saying, hey, this client that you've worked with a bunch before has a new project. Are you available? And sometimes I get an email saying, hey, this new customer of ours is looking for some design work. Would you like to join their creative team? 
Yeah, it, it makes the life and the stress involved with balancing a freelance career a lot easier. So I, I'm really, really happy with the work I've been able to do through Contently. Do you find that you have a pretty constant stream of work? You know, it's interesting. My first six months doing this was just gangbusters. I, I could hardly breathe. I had so much work. I started to live like I was going to always have that much work, which was a mistake because when summer hit, you know, 4th of July in the United States, that span of time hit, everything stands still, everything stopped. And, uh, and so I kind of, through that experience, luckily it had been a really busy six months. Um, but yeah, so once July hit and, you know, the summertime slowdown hit, I started to to be able to draw on some of those prosperity months and uh, and kind of rethink how I was going to juggle my time and handle slowdowns and 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 so I've kind of I've kind of come to realize that it's not so much that month to month it's stable but so far year to year uh, mm-hmm. I find that that I'm seeing growth and I'm seeing so as long as I can be kind of smart and as long as I'm really flexible and luckily, that's been the biggest slowdown I've had since doing this. You know, I, I don't have a, a huge amount of experience doing this full time. I mean, it's less than two years, but, uh, you know, so I don't I don't have a, a huge data set to, to pull from, a huge track record. But so far, that's been my busiest time, followed by my slowest time. And now things have kind of, I've figured out a little bit of how to, how to keep things a little more level. Yeah. Did you start to worry when it slowed up for that first time? Uh, worry is is probably uh, an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I had I called around to a bunch of people. I said, "What am I supposed to do?" And turns out a lot of people were experiencing the same thing, and that about that time of year it's pretty normal. And so I got some good advice. You know, that's a good time to work on things like online courses and side projects that help generate more work in the future and so so I've I've tried to make a habit of doing that sort of thing and that's that's made a big difference. What sort of side projects do you work on? Well, the biggest one has been this podcast that I started called One Thing Real Quick. So far the biggest side project and it's kind of the most rewarding side project I think I've ever done. What's the gist of your podcast? So the podcast is all about creativity and the idea starting with this podcast, there's two ideas. One is it's just a single question, which has kind of evolved into a really focused conversation. So a single topic uh, based around each guest's experience. Um, and then the other thing that really drives this, uh, the, you know, the content of the show is that Everyone is creative and everyone who uses creativity in a professional capacity has really valuable things to say on the subject. So, you know, you go to design conferences or creative conferences and you have a pool of the same 20 people that make up the keynote speaker roster. And after going to design conferences every year or so, I started to get kind of tired of hearing the same voices and I really wanted to hear from the people sitting next to me in the audience. And so that's kind of why I <laughs> created the podcast is because I, I wanted to hear those those voices of people that are dealing with creativity in practical ways every day. That's such a nice idea. And so actually, that's, I guess, also expanding your network. 
It is. Yeah, it's been a it, that was kind of the idea behind it um, was that it would give me a good excuse to call up someone and have a conversation that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. But more so, it's just been great to connect with people, both the audience and the guests and just the whole process, the creative process of putting stories together is extremely rewarding. It's a nice change of mental muscle to mm. create a podcast rather than to create a, you know, a, an InDesign layout or a logo or whatever it is. So, You mentioned conferences. So have you been to quite a lot then? Well, the first company I worked for gave us an allowance to go to conferences. And so each year we had an allowance. So I would go to something at least once a year. Ah. And then I, I, when I became, the, you know, I created a creative team for this other company, I tried to carry that forward. So I would go to workshops and conferences just about every year. But, you know, as the first 10 years of my career, those sort of slowed down as I got a little bit jaded with the whole experience. For that same reason I just mentioned, you get kind of the same... 20 voices gracing the stage at every conference. And I found it much more rewarding to have conversations between the sessions with other creatives than to sit in a room and listen to someone who has given, <laughs> yeah. you know, 45 talks on the same subject. So, But from the socializing point of view, they sound good then. Oh, they're great. Yeah. And and I've made a lot of uh, a lot of friends and a lot of connections through that through that process as well. I will say this. I had the uh, the honor and the opportunity to speak at a design conference in, uh, I think it was August of 2017, so just before leaving the United States. And so I spoke at a design conference for the IDSA, which is the Industrial Designer Society of America. I think I've got the acronym right. And being a speaker is about a thousand times better <laughs> than just sitting in the audience because the you know people are much more willing to come talk to you and you you make really great connections with people if you get to speak at a conference so that's my favorite other than the nerves when you're on stage um i don't know if i'll ever get the chance to do that again but uh yeah oh yeah put yourself out there <laughs> yeah um yeah maybe somebody will pay for your trip back Back to the States. Yeah, if I can make that work, yeah, please. <laughs> and, and, and there can be If you're listening, conference organizers. <laughs> yeah, bring me over too. Uh, I'll come. And then you've got 22 voices that you can have on your circuit instead of the 20 uh, that you mentioned. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I must say, I've, I've only spoken to a few, but I have found that same thing. Even like being on a panel or something like that, a yeah. smaller meetup where it just breaks the, down the barrier like people come up to you uh, a lot easier yeah you basically start the conversation on stage and then when mm. you're when you're in the the lunch area or whatever people come and finish it with you which is great that's a nice way of looking at it yeah i mean you, your name is very much part you trade as evan made don't you is that right evan made studio yeah so <sighs> that was a domain name availability issue <laughs> Evan McDonald is a dance instructor in New Jersey, and he does great work. He has the same name, and he's got the website. He's got a lot of flair, more flair than I do. Um, and so I, I went with Evan Made, and I just kind of made that my my business name. I like that. Oh, but that does answer, yeah, that whole, yeah, what made you go under a business name. But your name is still very much a part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I and I don't. I've kind of vacillated back and forth between creating a unique name for my studio. I really do emphasize just 
Evan McDonald. That's that's who I am. I think it's important not to be scalable. And uh, I think a lot of creative people think about, you know, when you go freelance, let's make a name for our studio so that we feel like like we're a business and we'll use the term we in all our emails um, so that we can then feel like we're a company. But you limit your supply of who you are, that you're just one person. I, I think my experience so far is that it increases your demand. You're one of a kind and your creative approach is one of a kind. And if you, if you don't dilute that, there's a big benefit to, to just being your own individual creative. And from that, you can kind of control the, the supply demand aspect of things. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me, Evan? Okay. First one, I had a chicken stolen by a neighbor while I was on vacation. <laughs> a live chicken. When I was in high school, I got my retainer out of a dumpster. And the third one... I was once in a client meeting with Pepsi at their office in Chicago. Someone asked me if I wanted anything to drink. And I said, sure, if you have Coke, I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> is a retainer like a brace on teeth? Is that what a yeah, retainer is? Yeah, yep, okay. yep, a, a dental retainer, yes. Why was that in a dumpster? So I, I would bring my lunch to school every day. And when I would eat my lunch, I would just remove the retainer and stick it inside the lunch bag. <laughs> and uh, I absentmindedly threw it away. And when I got home, my parents said that I could pay the $100 or so to replace it or I could go find it. And so that night, my dad drove me to the school and I pulled bags of garbage out of the dumpster and sorted through them until I found my retainer. And then I washed it, cleaned it real well, and then I put it back in. Mm. So it was within, like, I'm imagining your lunch bag being like a brown bag because that's what I always see in American films. Yeah, yeah. And then that was thrown in the bin and say, the canteen, and then that bin bag was put into the dumpster. So you had to find the bin bag, and then this is like a needle in a haystack, a retainer in a dumpster. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, you had a neighbor, a neighbor stole your chicken, so... How many chickens did you have? Like, what? I mean, it's just for if you had 50, you might not notice at first, but if you got two, it's pretty obvious. So, how many chickens did you keep? Well, I think at the time we had six hens. We had six, and then we came home, we had five. So, my initial reaction would be right, so a wild animal has taken the chicken. So, how did you find out that that wasn't the case? Well, we had some people house sitting for us, and the hen had flown over our fence to our neighbor's house a number of times. And the neighbor had decided to keep it and had come to let our house sitters know. And when we tried to get the hen back, she said, no, your hen is much happier here. <laughs> and we said, it doesn't matter. It's our hen. We want it back. And she, no, I'm not giving it back. I'm sorry. You're not, you're not giving this thing back. So <laughs> That's I bet so crazy, but I want that to be true, which means the final one was you going for a meeting at Pepsi and asking for a Coke. I can see that. This, I always right. ask for the Coke. I don't want a Pepsi. <laughs> I don't like Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want a Coke. <laughs> so I can see that automatically coming out before you register where you are. 
whilst all three of them are very plausible, I so want the first two to be true, but I feel like Pepsi's the lie. And yet Pepsi also feels like something that is very easy to accidentally do, which then makes me think one of the others is a lie. Um, maybe your neighbour never stole. Maybe you didn't even have chickens. Ah, no, oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna good... go. I'm gonna go with Pepsi. Pepsi isn't true. Uh, you're right. I'm I'm a bad liar. I really yeah. am. <laughs> How have you found the the business side of being freelance? Well, it definitely helps that our costs of living in Argentina are a lot lower. Um, that's given us a lot of flexibility and has allowed me to take kind of bigger risks with projects and with clients. The other thing that I've learned after doing my taxes this last year, you know, at the end of my first year, and realizing that I owed a huge amount of money and was kind of not prepared for that. Um, I was prepared to pay something, but wasn't prepared for what they were asking for. Um, they being our wonderful government in the United States. I uh, I reached out and got a little help. Uh, found a an accountant, bookkeeping, you know, an, an agency that could help me with that, and that's made a big difference. They've kind of taught me some things and helped me get upset or help me get set up. I'm really upset about this. Uh, help me get set up with some tools to help me keep track of my finances. And so that's made a big difference. And, and it's kind of taught me a lot about kind of outsourcing those things that you don't want to do. There's a lot of ways to do that, to outsource the the parts of being a freelancer that, that frankly suck. Um, and, and so doing that has made a big difference for me. Yeah. What are the other bits of being a freelancer that you find challenging? I think the balance is probably the hardest thing. It's so hard to not make hay when the sun's out. And and uh, I think I ruined the expression there. But, <laughs> you know, when clients are saying, can you do this? I, I really have a hard time saying no. And I find myself saying yes to a lot of things that, that end up costing me in terms of of balance and family time and things like that. But I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at that. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just took six weeks in the States with my with my family, visiting family and friends. And I think I worked about 10 hours a week while I was there, which was really nice. And I was able to kind of keep things moving. And I think that really comes down to learning how to set expectations with your clients and learning how to not overpromise. Mm. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think I would tell myself something that I had expected or I, I, I kind of expected would be true, which is to not be in a hurry. I'm really, really glad that I waited until I had kind of matured in my career. And I still have a long way to go. Ten years is not a lot of experience. Um, when you hit ten years, you, you sort of think that, but then you look around and realize, that, yeah, I, I'm still pretty – I'm still kind of a greenhorn here. But just – be patient and wait as long as you can to kind of develop your skill, develop your relationships with other people and um, to kind of prepare to make that move. Nice. And and actually, before we finish, like how, how important do you think was the move to a new place in terms of also going full-time freelance for you? You know, I had a conversation – um, on my podcast with Mary-Kate McDevitt. She's a really amazing illustrator based out of Philadelphia. And turns out she did kind of the same thing. She moved to Portland, Oregon from 
I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere on the East Coast. She moved to Portland, Oregon when she went freelance. Uh, oh, and I, I have another friend, a guy named Brad Woodard, who he's another great illustrator. and He moved to Austin, Texas when he went freelance. I think it it's actually really helpful to to start new somewhere when you're making a change like this. I can imagine that that might be a, a little overwhelming for some people, but especially for me, it really helped me create new pathways in every aspect of my life and create new habits and routines for my freelance work that also needed to be made anyways because I was in a new place. Evan, it's been brilliant chatting to you. Thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com. There will be a link through so you can find Evan online, find his work, find him on all the various social media that he might be on, but also check out his podcast as well. Uh, one thing real quick. And hey, if you're really on a podcast trip, don't forget there's another one that I co-host with Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community for um, people, well, just like myself, just like Evan for that matter, who are freelancing with kids in the mix. If you're a freelance parent, uh, then go find the doing it for the kids podcast and uh, i'll see you over there as well and don't forget if you're at beamfreelance.com click on the community button and join me and loads of other freelancers from around the world right there to boot uh, but for now evan thank you so much really lovely chatting to you and all the best being freelance thanks so much 